Hello, my name's Toby Haydoke, and this is Happy Times and Places, in which I ask a friend of mine to choose a Doctor Who story and secretly pick their favourite things about it. I then commentate along to each episode, accentuate the positive, and see if I can guess what that favourite thing might be. Hi, I'm Erica Lear, and um, I'm part of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society, and I also uh, run my own Doctor Who conventions in, in the Northwest. The story I've chosen is the, the Caves of Androzani. Well now, will Doctor Who get out of a cliffhanger involving being loomed over by the most disappointing aspect of an otherwise brilliant Doctor Who story? I had a, I had a running gag actually in uh, my second Doctor Who show, my stepson stole my sonic screwdriver, that I cut quite close to the end of actually doing it. Um, I had a running gag about, you know, one aspect of it, you know, every Doctor Who story had something that didn't work or made you cringe. Um, uh, and I called it the giant rat because, uh, you know, the giant rat was, you know, the the one thing that sullied an otherwise perfect Doctor Who story, The Talons of Wang Chiang. Interestingly, of course, time, and now that we have conversations about, you know, the appropriation of, um, the, the appropriateness of, of makeup and, um, you know, Caucasian actors playing ethnic parts, that has cast a bigger shadow over The Talons of Wang Chiang, which I note with interest rather than anything else. Um, so the giant rat would actually be a bad example because of the talents of Wang Chiang is not now so straightforward in our eyes. So perhaps I would call it the becloaked bat monster. It's not it doesn't chip off the tongue as well as the giant rat. But anyway, um, I'm mulling at the moment because I'm trying to write a uh, a podcast about things not never quite being perfect. Is there a perfect Doctor Who story? Caves of Androzani is the one that's won many, many, many polls, but I don't think anyone would say that the, the, the bat monster is good. Although a couple of people on my Patreon pointed out, you know, Harper shoots it as well as possible. He shoots it from underneath so that it looms over the Doctor in that in that cliffhanger. Um, I, I, I still think, you know, we get that full-length shot of it far away. And I, I, I still don't think... And yeah, there are attempts, especially this episode coming up, to kind of shoot it only in snatches. But uh, with the best will in the world... Uh, it doesn't quite work. So is Doctor is there such a thing as a perfect Doctor Who story? But is there such a thing as a perfect anything? So therefore, do you give anything 10 out of 10? I've started to, actually. Uh, I just, for the wheezing groaning sound, they've just announced that they're doing Horror of Fang Rock. And uh, they encourage you to sort of put your thoughts on Twitter. Because uh, they release, you know, as they record, which I don't do quite so much. There's less, less audience interaction from mine. I'm far too... I, I can only really rely on... Well, no, I can't even rely on myself, so I have to do this kind of in a bubble or, and with, you know, pre-recorded contributions from guests. Um, but I decided in the end, I, I initially gave Horror Fang Rock, I think, 98 out of 100, and I thought, no, actually, because I think the bit at the end when the Doctor talks to the route and is slightly drawn out. I don't think the cliffhanger part one is great, the airfix boat. But in the end, I just thought, yeah, but it's, come on, it's Doctor Who. You know, there are episodes of Juliet Bravo where there's probably an unconvincing door, you know, um, uh, because it was made at that time. Uh, and I went, Doctor Who's my favourite thing ever. You can have things that are 100 out of 100, even if they've not got perfect things about them. Sometimes, 
it's like in a relationship, isn't it? Are you saying that the person you're with is perfect or do you do you love them more than anything in the world, even though you're aware of their imperfections? And I think that might be a better way to be, although I've always been a glass half empty sort of person. I've always been a, no, no, I can never quite give it the full marks. But now that you're um, exposed to other people's opinions, where a lot of people... You know, on Twitter, I've just been seeing somebody on Twitter completely missing the point of a film, for example. You go, God, you just spend all your time saying this is rubbish and that's rubbish. And and is that a way to be, to just sort of pick holes in the endeavour of, of, of others, which seems to me a, a, actually a, a less valuable use of your time than what they're doing, which is making a flawed p- something. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's Yeah. But actually, there's something cathartic about going, well, I watch this thing that's not very important. It's just a disposable piece of entertainment. And I, you know, got all my frustration out or, or I, I enjoyed the process of uh, in, in a safe environment, just, you know, being excoriating about something that doesn't really matter. Um, uh, so it's complicated, isn't it? And I talk too much about everything. So... <laughs> It's part three of The Caves of Androzani. My guest is Erica Lear, who, despite being barking, <laughs> and I say that with great affection, also has a heart of gold uh, and uh, is a good egg. And um, I'm, I'm glad she hasn't just gone Peter Davison for every episode because I wouldn't have put it past her. But <laughs> I, can't, I probably know Erica a very long time now. It's funny because you think you meet people through Doctor Who and you sort of go, oh, yeah, I know them. And then you break it down. And you go, oh, my goodness, I've known them for blooming ages. Anyway, um, let's see what she chooses for part three in three, two, one. Uh, so, yes, I watched this. All those years ago, uh, as as an omnibus, but I would watch the opening and closing titles, and let me not uh, get started on my frustration with having to uh, scrabble around to find the uh, remote control in order that the closing titles don't disappear just before you've even had a second to register that they're happening. Uh, that is a sign of the uh, oncoming collapse of civilization. Robert Holmes. I, I searched Robert Holmes recently to see if there was any reports in any papers, even trade papers. Um, well, no, I didn't get the. I don't get Ariel, the BBCs, or any of those. Um, but you know, um, you know, any anywhere in the media of, of his death, considering he was, um, you know, writing Doctor Who that was being made to go out, and actually, the, you know, his last work was aired posthumously. Nothing. Um, I mean, there's stuff in the Doctor Who papers but i find that extraordinary now i mean if 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 he had died now say you know i would be straight onto the guardian and probably be able to get him an obituary times change uh this is actually uh, apart from the full length uh sort of wobbly gate thing going on this is i like that shot the way that that harper gets the the camera sort of you know sort of giddy and in and slightly blurred um, and, and there it's in darkness in silhouette. There's some wise shooting going on there. And this is br- brilliant. I love the, the pan across the caves to give it some sense of length. Uh, and, the, and the doctor sort of, you know, running as the camera runs and moves. That gives it a sort of sense of pace and slightly disjointedness. But uh, uh, when I was watching this with my mates, um, you know, it didn't really recover. They really enjoyed finding that sequence crap. Um, again, it's that sort of, Joy. I mean, it used to frustrate me being with drama students who, um, who, you know, didn't really sort of respect the 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 
the the the endeavor the artistry or creativity in in, in something um and and see past it it's a bit like going to the theater and sort of going um well yeah you know he's he's on the floor and he's still breathing and he's supposed to be dead well yes because he you can't actually kill an actor you 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 know it's you haven't won by not seeing through the artifice um you know anyway i probably this is a well-rehearsed conversation um uh this is very very nice uh you know beautiful lighting here the lighting is excellent um although one suspects it would be slightly done no because you get the phosphorescence in the cave and there's also probably lighting done by jack and the military this is oh this is really very well done um nice nice use of level on the set um so the set design is um it, co it complements it's sympathetic to what the director's trying to achieve davison uh got has that wonderful insolence which is quite a tom bakery thing actually to be quite insolence in the face of posturing and power or, or threatening behavior uh, to try and either disarm it or wind it up. And if you wind up somebody who is coolly threatening you, they suddenly, you know, they they lose their upper hand or could potentially make a mistake. So it's not just a, a character point. Well, it is a character point. It's, it's what the Doctor does to undermine those who are, you know, better positioned, better armed, more prone to violence than he. Uh, which, I, you know, which I think is one of the great things about the character. You're a wily fellow. I, I, again, it's that slightly old-fashioned dialogue that I that 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 works. It doesn't seem out of place. Um, and I like, uh, you know, I remember I remember this being quite quite fun as a kid. It, it felt like the story was suddenly, you know, shifting its uh, it, its 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 power structure. I wouldn't have thought of it like that as a kid when you know suddenly you have Salatine escape. Uh, and so that means that the military have to use that cleverly in order that they make use of the fact that there's an android and they're now sort of potentially one step ahead. Uh, this is this is so brilliantly shot and that slap, uh, you know, it's quite it's quite an undoctor who thing. And look at the little bit of makeup on Davison's hand as well because he's got the the Spectrox um, sting, you know, uh, um, and. And, you know, this is I know this is the sort of stuff that gets Eric Sayward going, having, you know, tear his arms out slowly. But actually, you can do this without any blood and guts, without any, uh, you know, it's no, it's the, the, there's, no, there's no there's no cut, there's no bleeding, there's no bloody teeth. Uh, it's 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 violent. And yet it's um, it's totally, you know, you wouldn't it's not it, it's not sexy because it's not it's not gory it's uh uh you know it's it's something where it's it's the acting and the situation that emphasizes the pain and the danger without resorting to um yeah you know but um viscera uh and look at the way every camera shot you know him down on the, his knees the two guns pointing in uh, just the way that Krelper's grabbing him is, is you know, slightly does does Stotts grab his hand? I know, but this, you know, this this feels Stotts is slightly sweaty as well. This all feels, and you'll be worked over by experts. Yeah, no, you imagine this world where there are people that are, you know, good at torturing people to get information. It it just every element of it complements the other in order to create. The atmosphere that they're going for which is one of grimness and danger so the army's plan didn't work for very long um i love i love uh robert glenister's weird inhuman android he looks 
Um, because they're kind of emphasised by by the shooting of it, and you can. It's not like you're going, well, why hasn't why hasn't Chalak noticed that he's got this odd leery thing going on? Because it's 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 a bit more subtle than that, and I like it. Um, I remember uh, uh, an interview with Robert Glenister when they said, "Is there a part I think you regret taking?" And he said, "Oh, Doc, too, because um, I was in it years ago, and people." you know keep stopping me and asking me about it and uh, he's since been in it again in uh, Nikolai Tesla's Night of Terror and you go oh so he didn't mean that it was probably just something he said for an interview to be honest as well and didn't didn't realize that a lot of people would pour on that and take it very personally he probably just went oh yeah occasionally gets stopped by Doctor Who fans um and of course you can also have enjoyed a job and like a program but you know one day when asked about something go yeah I'm a bit fed up of being the only thing I'm asked about uh, yeah that doesn't mean you don't like it it just means you sometimes might wish sometimes somebody would get you to sign their sink or swim VHSs or whatever haha <laughs> um and and I, I I I do like the fact that you know again I think I mentioned this in episode one that the Chelak would ordinarily be you know the good guy and I remember watching this as a kid it seemed like because you didn't pick up the subtleties quite so much, that, that, that Chelak was was kind of the traditional good guy. He's the brigadier kind of figure. Yeah, I know there's moral, you know, ambivalence with the with the brigadier and the way that he's treated sometimes. But, but you know, he was the traditional military figure who seemed as close to a, the sort of forces of good as, as anybody. And actually, he's pretty pragmatic and unpleasant. Um, and the, the nice Salatine isn't particularly nice. And uh, this this is a great, shot you know this is a you know this is a, 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 a quite a, a straightforwardly staged scene it's only a couple of camera angles but it's it's really well done and it gets the job done and it imparts a little bit of information and it's helping to increase the pace you know they're, they're making the way to the spaceship the doctor collapses the doctor fills them in that he's got spectrox toxemia uh, you know st- and Stotz's response to be totally unsympathetic because this is a cruel world but it's cruel without being you know it's still it's not it's not too dour this it is quite grim but there's a humor to it because the characters are are real and and you know there's a sort of gallows humor to it and um, there's a lightness to it because the characters are are all quite colourful as well, but they're colourful without being caricatures. But they are slightly larger than normal, in a, and yet paradoxically, you know, with the likes of Stotts and Krell, but they are quite earthy and believable in Doctor Who terms, you know, because they seem to have come from a a program where people are a bit more sort of gritty and realistic. But that in itself is um it's yeah so it's it's that paradox isn't it of something being larger than life and yet truthful which i always like in this this kind of drama um which is why i'm drawn to this kind of drama i think um because and i've said this before because just because something is you know stage performances are larger than life they have to be in order to project but it doesn't mean you sacrifice the truth through that technique it's just that you distill the truth and project it in a in a way that you don't when you're sitting around on a sofa but also you're dealing with subject matter that is bigger than sitting around and talking on a sofa and i'm sure there are mighty mighty dramas set with people talking on sofas but and i probably will watch them but not as often as i'll watch ones about drug running gangsters and cloaked bat cave beasts um 
and I I remember I remember just loving Stotts's headband as well, and I like the fact he then uses it to to uh, to, to blindfold the Doctor. Um, I saw John Normington play Albany in uh, King Lear at the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, and he even then had that slightly sort of he has that slightly staccato delivery that he does that um it it would be wooden were it not such good acting you know it's a deliberate sort of choice uh you know and he's too interesting an actor for that but if you if you just listen to the cadence of his voice you'd go oh, that's a strangely sort of almost del flat delivery but it's d deliberately so um and look at his eyes. He's doing it all in the eyes and the stillness is glorious. And and, and, and again, he's the sort of actor. I, I love this. I, 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 why do I love it? I don't know. It's, it's, it's totally unnatural. And yet it works within its own terms. And it's Doctor Who. And you could sort of say, if I can have a bat monster in a cave, I can have a guy talking to the camera. And it says, go with it. And if you don't want to, that's fine. But I guess you lose. Um, and I can understand if it's too much for some people. I'm not criticising anybody who goes, I don't really want cameras, people talking to the camera in Doctor Who. I don't really want people talking to the camera in Doctor Who. But in one Doctor Who story, when it's one particular character and everything else about that Doctor Who story works in a particular way, I accept this. Whereas if it was a Doctor Who story that I didn't think was very, very well made and that annoyed me, I might go, and now someone's talking to the camera. So, ha, <laughs> uh, well, you know, we're, uh, sometimes our justifications for things are entirely personal or contextual or whatever. Great model shot, even. Geostationary orbit. Um, uh, and, and again, just having the beginning of that scene over the model shot. This lighting is fantastic. Again, Harper's just thinking about because can you imagine this if, if shot with normal Doctor Who lighting and even the light coming through the this is more like something that's you know it, I'm thinking of uh, Terminus when they're in, in the grills there and you get the lovely light coming through that and you suddenly go oh this is a much better looking production because we're on film and you're able to do more with the lighting well that's in the studio and they've managed to do it with the lighting um, so yeah can you imagine that scene it just wouldn't be, be the same I mean, the fact that Maurice Reeves is such so good. Um, I wrote his obituary for The Guardian, didn't I? Yes, I did. Maurice Reeves. Um, uh, I, I, I walked past him in Edinburgh once and uh, didn't didn't say anything. And I wish I had now. Uh, it was at the Fringe. It was when I was doing My Stepson Stole My Sonic Screwdriver. Um, and he, yeah, he was there, but I didn't want to bother him. And of course... He was walking down the street. Uh, it probably would have been no bother. Although uh, I did, speaking to his wife and his widow, Vanessa, she did say that um, he didn't mind getting stopped in the street so long as people didn't say that they'd enjoyed him in Taggart because he'd never been in Taggart. I think he'd been offered something in it or something hadn't worked out or whatever. But because he was a sort of gritty-faced, you know, and, and, and it had that delivery like he'd been chewing a wasp. In fact, that line was cut from my Guardian uh, obit I think where I said he had a you know, he had the, he, he gave the impression he was chewing on a wasp or something which I rather liked that's beautiful I like that um, bit with uh, Jack um, hiding in the in the background you know obscure it's just lighting and smoke again which on a normal Doctor Who set 
not well lit, not augmented with smoke, would have looked a bit naff. Um, and uh, yeah, his wife Vanessa, but he, yeah, he'd never been in Taggart. So if, when people stopped him and said, I'll drink Taggart, he got a bit pissed off. <laughs> it's the opposite of Robert Glenister. Yeah, imagine Robert Glenister if people kept stopping you and saying, they liked, they, could, you know, could you, could you talk to them about Doctor Who? You'd never actually been in it. Um, and this is, the, the, the plotting of this is very good because um, Morgus is forced to do what he does because he's got the wrong end of the stick because of the Doctor's presence. So although actually the Doctor and Perry are kind of on the periphery of this, you know, they're very minor players in a way, but that's, I think, deliberate. It's not like some some, st- some stories, uh, particularly some Sayward stories where, uh, you know, the, 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 the Doctor isn't very important to the story because Eric Sayward is more interested in his guest characters. I think this is deliberate from Robert Holmes that, you know, the, the Doctor's death is brought about you know as as a result of you know something that happens really early in the first first episode you know an unfortunate brush with you know a, a poison that's been i love the subtlety of that effect as well the little bit of smoke coming on when he burns his hand it's just little bits attention to detail in uh 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 you know what is a how does he get out of the handcuff scene beautiful beautiful um but you know the, the 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 doctor and perry being victims of you know this dirty war that's all about money um uh is deliberate and yet of course their presence in it does does shift the dynamic and 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 affect the outcome even if not always from the doctor's you know uh the doctor being in control of the situation as as the doctor is more so in 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 many stories you know they're very much innocent victims as as chelak says but he says it in a much more sort of cynical pragmatism if you can have such a thing a cynically pragmatic way um, when he talks about in war the innocent die too which is a a get out clause for people doing terrible things um and we're now approaching one of the great great cliffhangers of uh, Doctor Who which I would be surprised if it's not the thing that uh, that Erica chooses and that's nice that just goes to show um, uh, you know why why Davison didn't need to spend the rest of things with manacles on his on his hand um, but look at the look at the outside I mean you know that's just a, the white studio outside but the little bit of lighting on the cycle whatever it is the, the the studio walls that sort of purple haze to give a sense of some alien horizon is 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 simple but beautiful and it and it just because quite often in you know doctor Who of this period you see i'm thinking of the 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 roof of, you know, of the spaceship in front of us it's just you know they go well it's just the white studio and you've got to take it um which i don't mind doing but i also appreciate the effort here of the oh and there's a few buildings out there as well I've got a feeling the word floater appealed to my university friends as well. I liked these people. They were mates of mine. But, um, I mean, you can find a double entendre in anything if you, you want to. I, just, I have to say, as, and, and I know I'm a comedian. I'm supposed to have a sense of humour. But there we go. Maybe I haven't got... In fact, a lot of comedians don't... I don't think I've... Do I have a sense of humour? I don't think I have. I think I'd... Well, we don't have a sense of humour about the things we care about. I do have a sense of humour about Doctor Who. But, I, oh, it's complicated. Um, I remember not really liking the uh, the CSO effect there because obviously now you do it, you'd have him bouncing off the walls, wouldn't you? But actually, I think for the for the pit, and I love this. I love this exchange between the two uh, <laughs> where 
uh, you know, they're clearly going through the motions of the things that you say. <laughs> it's see, it's funny. It's deliberately funny. But actually, and, and the effect of the president going down, they they do make an effect to make attempt to make him spin, and it's you know hard to do. And also, you know, it's a it's a program for kids. You well, no, they wouldn't have been able to do much more than they did there. I thought it's 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 reasonable. Uh, um oh yeah and i uh, have the lift maintenance engineer shot i mean oh it's so bleak and some that happens to somebody you know that's oh it's grim um and yet it's just a little a, a little line that does nothing apart from uh add that sort of bleakly comic dark Oh, it's brilliant. That's why Robert Holmes is so good, because his Doctor Who is scary and it's grim and it's violent, but all within the confines of being a children's television series. And yet the humour is, you know, adult, cynical, uh, caustic, and yet all within the safety of a children's television series. You know, it's brilliant. Um, love uh, Christopher Gable's body language is superb of course because he was a but I does he was so young i think when he died i have a he because he, he he was touring he was always an, and he was directing you know he said the head of the royal ballet or something wasn't he? he was a um you know highly acclaimed um ballet dancer director etc etc and uh some friends of mine got i've got a signed copy of the caves of androzani novel upstairs by him but i ne i never had the pleasure myself but he was one that you sort of expected to be around a lot i remember reading his obituary and going gosh so young um and he is very sympathetic isn't he jack and that's a brilliant mask i mean in you know in lesser stories that mask would be you know first thing that you choose as being your, your best thing it's a beautiful design um I'm never quite sure. I need to look at the face when we see it because Christopher Gable is obviously not made up for the whole of this. He's just made up for the for the money shot, as it were. But you see quite a lot of his lower lip and, and that eye. And I, I um, is it really that there's no burning makeup on those bits when we see the full reveal? Doesn't matter. I'm just I'm just I'm just blathering now. But one does. I think I thought the episode was about to end when when uh, the spaceship started to shudder. So. Uh, uh, I was winding down. This is such a beautiful piece of acting. And again, it's quite melodramatic, but it's totally true. And I love that uh, twist of the, do, do you think I'm mad? No, 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 of course you're not. I, I actually am. And do I frighten you? He says with kind of pity and threat in one voice. And you're so important to me also sounds utterly sincere and, oh God, so terrifying. Uh, and and it's I can feast my eyes in your delicacy. It's a it's a very good depiction of sort of dis, destructive love. Nothing he's saying or do from from his point of view. It's all uh, you know. Uh, you're beautiful and I love you and I would do anything to look after you. And terrible things have happened to me uh, and I'm the victim here. And yet everything about him is threatening and terrifying. And and it's so well judged. Um, and uh, yeah, and and just every single shot. We don't get shooting like this really, in uh, you know, and Jack being slightly out of focus there and very right in the foreground. And Nicola Bryant, by the way, 
Nicola Bryant is absolutely fantastic in this story. Um, the Doctor and Perry as a as a as a, a leading pair are excellent uh, in this story. Now I remember um, a review in Doctor Who magazine of one of the House Dammers Walker's book, I think, saying that you know that this that there being a precognizance of the doctor's regeneration because it's the same effect and the review going oh, i scribbled in my margin that's a load of old rubbish uh, i remember me thinking yeah what a load of old rubbish and then i think graham Harper did an interview and said i deliberately put that effect there as precognizance of the doctor's regeneration so it just goes to show um sometimes what you might think is rubbish isn't um <laughs> and that we're all prone to being wrong about things uh, we could be wrong about when we think that other people are wrong <laughs> Um, in fact, I did it to somebody recently where they sent me a thing and I went, no, 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 that's wrong. You need to check that. And actually it turned out it was right. Um, so, you know, well, I don't know why I'm, I'm just go. Yes, yes, we're, yes. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, don't, don't, uh, uh, try and cathartically <laughs> share one's own shortcomings. Uh, when one could be going, this cliffhanger is brilliant. I love the burning of the door that they had to do. I love the fact that Stotts uh, burns his hand on the outer rim because it's uh, hot because of the thing. I love the shaking of the ship. I love the shot from Stotts through to the Doctor. It's a brilliant angle. And the the shuddering of the ship and the close-up of Davison and the fact that he closes his eyes and, you know, Stotts is, you know, move over to the door because I'll shoot you if you don't. All of that is so good. Uh, it's one of the great Doctor Who cliffhangers. I would be nuts if I did not choose it. Are there other things I could choose? Well... I mean, the, the brutality of the world, I think, is nice. You know, that you've been messing with real spectrox is not the response you expect when somebody says, I think I'm dying of this thing. Um, have the lifted maintenance engineer shot. The fact that Chelak is actually a, a, a wrong and even though he's ostensibly the, the head of the forces of good, really. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the looking at the camera, which I adore. Um, I haven't even spoken really much about David Neal as the president, who's the you know the smallest part in it, and yet perfect casting of somebody who looks like he's a a a, a younger man, an, an older man who's had his sort of life extended. It's, it's it's a really good piece of casting, and he plays it, and he's a good actor. I mean, he leads in stuff. Uh, uh, the 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 funny exchanges between. Morgus and Timmin, uh, all the beautiful lighting and shooting in the cave. Um, I mean, even the shooting of that 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 monster attack at the beginning, uh, apart from when we see it in 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 its sort of shambling, you know, full length uh, glory. The, the, you know, when the camera sort of zooms in and judders and goes close into the neck as it eats. Um, I think it eats Les Conrad, doesn't it? Uh, Romulus and Remus's dad. Um, is all you know that's all brilliant stuff those those cave sets are very good um that you know the lighting of them and the smoke just helps to to sell them i love that pan across as the doctor's running through the caves it feels quite um you know that especially in such a limited space that's a way of increasing the pace and increasing the the space 
um, and that sort of judderiness makes it sort of, you know, gives you a little bit of motion sickness and, and adds to the fact that the Doctor's staggering and stumbling about. It's very cleverly done. Um, so much is good, but it's got to be the cliffhanger. And I would be very surprised um, if Erica Lear had not chosen um, the cliffhanger to episode three. Let's see. Episode three. Okay, well, this this is a bit of a, um, a girly, crushy one, I'm afraid. Um, the cliffhanger of episode three is is not only my favourite bit from from this story, but my favourite bit from the entire um, catalogue of Doctor Who. And I know there are um, grown-up, proper Doctor Who fans out there, but I'm afraid um, this this is my favourite bit. And um, it's when Peter, my fifth Doctor, is tied up um, against the wall and he uses the laser cutter to get himself out uh, of the of the cuffs and it burns him and his hair just flicks up and flicks back down again and i just think gorgeous um so i'm afraid that that that's my um one of my moments i'm afraid um funny story i was chucked out of a uh, a local group meeting um when people ask what your favorite moment was in doctor who and i've course this is what I said I was uh, I was chucked out for not taking it seriously but hey ho we can't all be the same <laughs> well that opens up so first I thought when she started I thought yeah she's saying the end of episode three. Oh no she's saying the bit before the end of episode three where he cuts through the manacles and go well I love that bit because I love the I just love the whole way that it's staged the whole the way that it's done the fact that he burns himself and you get that little thing of steam from showing him burning himself oh no it's because he's a bit sexy when he flicks his hair <laughs> and I thought I thought I, I mean I, I, I was a bit arrogant then because as soon as she started talking I thought yeah she's going for the end of episode three three and by the time she finished I was like no that's that's basically Erica doing her sexy Peter thing which I did say she'd do didn't I I did say Erica would do a sexy Peter thing <laughs> um but for her that flick of the hair overshadows one of Doctor Who's greatest moments but you got thrown out of a local group see I've just said I've got no sense of humour when it comes to Doctor Who, but I have much more of a sense of humour when it comes to Doctor Who than a lot of people I see uh, contributing to discussions about Doctor Who, particularly modern Doctor Who, where apparently you don't understand the programme if you don't like it in the same way that somebody else does. If Erica's favourite bit of Doctor Who is the bit where Peter Davison flicks his hair when he's trying to escape from manacles, there's absolutely nothing. I think Erica has proved that she's a Doctor Who fan. Uh, she loves Doctor Who. She organises Doctor Who conventions, um, and actually, you don't have to prove anything either. You, you can, you, you, you ah, let's not get into that. But you were chucked out of a local group for liking a particular thing about Doctor Who. Yeah, you, you, welcome to our gang. So great, you like the same thing as us, but only if you like it in exactly the same way that we do. I take Doctor Who terribly seriously, way too seriously. But I also know it's not serious at all it's very serious to me uh, and, and very important to me and is you know quite an important anchor in various points of my life and I get frustrated I got very frustrated with my university friends for 
going, floater, because I think I was largely expecting them to be intelligent people, and that's not an intelligent thing to say. There's no reason everybody has to always say intelligent things, but um, and and I can be very childish myself. Um, So it's all about context, isn't it? It's a bit like the looking at the looking at the camera bit. It, it it works and it's brilliant, except for if it's in a context where it doesn't work and it isn't brilliant, in which case it's terrible. But poor Erica. <laughs> um, and it's certainly not uh, it's certainly not what I would have gone for as my favourite thing. But whatever floats your boat. This desire for sort of purity when it becomes to I mean, that's that's very much, I think, come coming in political discourse that you're you know you're either for us or against us rather than you can have a complicated nuanced thought processes about an, an important issue of the day um and 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 yes the idea that you you if you like doctor who you have to like it in a certain way or you're bad i i mean it uh, i'd certainly disappointed if if people say a doctor who story i like is bad and a doctor who story i think is bad is good or they you know they like they see different things in it from me and sometimes it means i will then discount their their opinions but um but then i just won't bother to read what they're saying or i'll read what they're saying and go oh i don't agree with that and sometimes i probably might think oh i'm a bit of an idiot but um it certainly never makes me cross uh or if it does make me cross only on a sort of you know internal monologue level um but um it's it's an odd it's an odd one to care what anybody else thinks about or 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 how somebody manifests their joy of doctor who each to their own it doesn't matter i think i'm trying to overanalyze now and i'm sure some people will be going oh god he doesn't half overanalyze things um and often in contradictory ways which i very much hold my hand up to anyway the long and the short of it is Erica, you're an idiot. <laughs> Get out. You're banned from this podcast. But in all of the brilliance of Caves of Androzani 3, get in your hot totty moment. Uh, <laughs> of course, she's absolutely <laughs> welcome. A fool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think she's an idiot. But um, in, <laughs> in, in a way that I don't really think she's an idiot. And I think she's a joy, but a joyful idiot but not an idiot, but yeah, a bit of an idiot. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and I was going to say, and of course she doesn't really mean that. She, you know, she loves, she loves all the, other, I'm sure she does love all the other bits too, but I completely believe her that her favourite bit of all of Doctor Who is a bit when Peter Davison flicks his hair. And do you know what? Somebody liking a thing is good. Uh, <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, not, you know, fascism, uh, <laughs> genocide, uh, <laughs> but uh, Peter Davison's sexy look is neither of those things. Um, it's it's uh, anyway. <laughs> I hate you, Erica, in a way that doesn't involve any hatred whatsoever. So I thought she was going to say episode three. There's no way I'm going to win when people play the game like this. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed all of that. It's so high quality. Um, I mean. You know, after the opening scene, which took my university friends about 10 minutes to get over. And I used to say, I like these people, but it was so disappointing. Um, a lot of them work in television and theatre now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mine is an industry where you could, a lot of people work in it who have a, a, utter contempt for it uh, or, or it when it's done by other people. Um, uh, but there we go. 
Uh, anyway, uh, good. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. I like television and I like Doctor Who and uh, I appreciate it when it's done well and uh, managed to, I don't know, yeah, and I can, uh, and yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can easily uh, forgive, forgive a monster here or there or the use of the word floater um, uh, when there's so much to enjoy that's actually good and deliberately good and is the work of great creative minds and uh, you know a lot of technical competence confidence and invention beautifully written beautifully directed beautifully acted uh, I'm enjoying the caves of Androzani and I'm not gonna let you stop me now Thanks very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Erica Lear, who you can find on Twitter at EricaLear3. I'm grateful to Erica and to the patrons who make this podcast possible, and they include Peter Adamson, Andrew and Lisa, Catherine Armitage, John Arnold, Kevin Ashelford, Luke Atkins, James Bell, David Bickley, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt. Gary Byrne, Robin Bland, Alex Kafajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Paul Caddington, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Ellidge, Joe Ford, Gary Gillett, Paul Goodridge, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, Paul Gregory, Dave Hoskin, Richie Howarth, Andrew Jordan, Christopher Joyce, Jess Jerkovic, Ashley Knight, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, Steve Manfred, Dave Matthewman, and Jason Mayo. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you liked the way those names sounded and would you like your name to sound like those names, except, of course, sounding like your name, then you can have that as one of the bonuses of being a patron of these podcasts and patrons get their names read out uh, more frequency depending on which tier you are but everyone gets their name read out at some point but that's I mean that's the merest of prizes you also get bonus releases you get early access to all of the Toby Haddock's time travel podcasts these happy times and places ones are six months ahead if you are a patron so there's oh gazillions of them waiting for you in patronville um and you're at least a month or so ahead with the too much information and indefinable magic podcasts and you also get an exclusive podcast called far too much information which is just for patrons and exclusive monthly amas uh, which again are patron only patrons go to patreon.com forward slash toby haydock and you can sign up for as little as three pounds a month and if you sign up for a year in advance you get 10 percent off whichever tier you are on the tiers start as i say at three pounds and go up in increments uh you also get uh, pictures of my dog every tuesday and i'd like to go but that's not really that important but uh, it pains me to say they're actually often more popular than the, than the bits involving my mouth and words anyway uh, there's all sorts of other bits and bobs as well uh, at patreon.com uh, forward slash toby it's a nice sort of community too where people can indulge in their enjoyment of doctor who uh, if you cannot or do not want to do that and both of those things are completely understandable you can do the occasional one-off contribution at ko-fi 
facebook.com forward slash Toby Haydock. If I've done something that you particularly enjoyed or if you're feeling like I sound particularly hungry or cold or needy or perhaps if you are particularly flush of a month. It's uh, I, I just hate saying these words, but it is the way that, um, you know, creatives sort of try and generate a bit of a livelihood these days. And um, if you go to the Patreon, there's there's, uh, there's there's at least there's three releases a week generally. So I am putting the stuff out there. So if you'd like to support me, I'd be very, very grateful. You can support me with no cash outlay at all by going to where you get your podcasts and leaving these a five-star review and some nice positive comments. That costs you nothing but gains me all sorts of traction in cyberspace. And so I would be grateful if you could spend just a little bit of time giving five stars and a few nice lines of review to Toby Haydoke's time travels. Thank you. And if you're vaguely interested in anything I might do outside the worlds of Doctor Who, and I know many people aren't, uh, I am a professional stand-up comedian and have been one for uh, over 25 years, including every Tuesday at the Manchester Comedy Club Excess Malarkey. That has its own Twitter feed, at Excess, the letter X, the letter S, Malarkey, M-A-L-A-R-K-E-Y. And uh, there's a Twitch channel as well for occasional online content from that uh, award-winning, multi-award-winning comedy club, uh, which is uh, twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great place and there's often, uh, you know, uh, a, a really eclectic and fantastic array of live stand-up talent at that gig. And as I say, um, an archive of stuff online from when we did shows during the pandemic that shows just the kind of uh, talent that we um, attract and it's a Manchester institution excess malarkey comedy club do pop in and see us I also have my own twitter feed at Toby Haydoke these podcasts have their twitter feed as well which is at Haydoke podcasts uh, and I have a facebook page uh, which is uh, the, the Toby Haydock one. It's me looking apologetic in a hat at the moment. Um, and that's uh, that's that's my sort of professional page. It's still me, but uh, that's where I share all sort of work and Doctor Who type stuff, as opposed to my personal Facebook page, which I'm sort of phasing out and just making for people I've actually met. Well, I'm doing this on the back of quite a busy week. I've been to see a lot of theatre. Uh, I saw David Tennant in a play called Good, about uh, the sort of slow, incremental uh, way that somebody can go from being good, in inverted commas, to a member of the SS. It's a very clever play, uh, with Elliot Levy and Sharon Small as well, just a three-hander, really. Um, uh, but the original version of that, it had been a play where the various other characters had been played by the whole roster of supporting actors. But in this, Elliot Levy and Sharon Small t- sort of took on all the other roles. Uh, and one of those supporting roles in the original RSC production in 1981 was played by pa- Barbara Kinghorn uh, a couple of years, three years before she was Crow Timmin in The Caves of Androzani. So it all how you know how how is it that i was doing the the one doctor who story that had a cast member who was in the original production of that because just because actually and because i would see patterns where wherever i was and whatever i was doing i mean the fact is so much of uh, what I am is to do with Doctor Who. There's always going to be some sort of coincidence, isn't there? In fact, I mean, I went to see David Tennant in the play and I'd 
um, I'd messaged him to say, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see you in, um, going to see you in good. Uh, and he said, oh, there are a couple of other Doctor Who alumni in that night. You'll be able to play bingo. Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, the chances of me actually seeing them, though, after I got a little bit excited. Uh, and yet, uh, when I made space t- to um, just step aside from Shez while she was settling in, because I had to build, put a little platform out for her to get into the wheelchair seat, uh, I took a step to the right and just watched as some other people came in to go upstairs to the uh, to the, to the, the upper circle. Uh, and one of those people coming in, was Catherine Tate so I thought oh well I've seen one of the Doctor Who alumni uh, and then as I was coming out uh, I let Chez go first and then I let some other people go and I thought I'll just hang back because it's getting a bit it's getting a bit uh, chocker here and Chez needed to dip to the loo and all that sort of thing so I thought well I'll just I'll just stay back where my my seat was by those steps some of which were going up where I'd seen Catherine Tate go up some of which were were going down uh, and coming up from the downstairs at the exact time that I hung around at the end, having let quite a lot of few, few people go already, was Mark Gatiss, <laughs> who uh, obviously I'd just been in uh, Count Magnus uh, for um, just before Christmas, so we'd, we'd we'd had a little bit of contact over the Christmas period, but I had no idea he was going, and uh, and I thought he'd missed me because he didn't catch my eye. And I thought, oh, shall I grab him? And then he went, "You are waiting, Count Magnus," and he'd obviously spotted me, and we had a lovely chat. But how I do feel somehow like a bit of a doctor who magnet now is it because i'm my senses are attuned you know is it like s- s- certain people with certain disabilities it's the idea that their other senses are more um attuned to certain things or they're they're, they're more stark or they, they manifest themselves better though i believe that is supposed to be a myth about blind people have a, having better hearing and smell but i don't know but but you know my inadequacies elsewhere uh and explain that i have a, a heightened doctor who radar and that somehow wherever I am because I do spot I, I am very good at spotting a Doctor Who actor on a train platform that's happened to me so many many times Jackie Lane on a train um uh is you know is it that I'm constantly thinking about Doctor Who so I see them Shez would say it's because I'm always thinking about them I manifest them there although somehow you know Mark Gatiss was actually in Dorset that night and then just materialized at David Tennant's play because I'm always thinking about Doctor Who uh, but anyway I note it with joy Barbara Kinghorn was invoked as a name in the playtext because they'd run out of programs so I, I got the playtext instead um, as a as a sort of memento and it because it had the cast list of 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 the play that night but also uh, it had the cast list of the original production because as you do when you publish a playtext you always sort of list you know who is in the very first production of something and Barbara Kinghall was there crowd him in so it all ah oh, it's all they all swim around like like faces from the past which uh, is a good premonition of what's going to happen in the Caves of Androzani next week. But I do, yeah, I do seem to, and of course I know I'm flattering myself, it's simply that uh, I think I'm attuned to Doctor Who, so I notice when Doctor Who-y things happen around me. But I do seem to, I do seem to either bump into Doctor Who people or or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody appropriate to Doctor Who right now. And blah, blah, blah. I suppose it's because Doctor Who gets everywhere and one meets a lot of people and inevitably when I meet anybody Doctor Who comes into conversation either by me or by somebody else and then the person goes oh my uncle was in Doctor Who and I'm like god it's almost like I attract these people no it's because I never stop banging on about Doctor Who but I like to think there's a little bit of magic there um anyway uh I'm gonna tootle off now and do the final episode of the Caves of Androzani but that was my post-credits bit 
for this bit. There we are.